Casey. This is Too Much Film School. This episode, we're going to be looking at the Born Legacy trailer. I really liked the first Born Identity. I thought it was a great movie. I think uh, Doug Lyman is a very good director. And then Paul Greengrass took over, and I could not stand either of them. The second one, the car chase, went on so long, I literally fell asleep. During <laughs> woke up and it was still going. <laughs> it was still going on. It was it was confusing and uh, poorly edited, poorly uh, like all the shots were super quick and everything was shaky and you don't know what's going on. It's everything that I hate about action movies. But because he's not American, everybody's like, "Oh, he's a genius. He's so much better than like Michael Bay or whoever." And I'm like, "No, he's actually not any good at this either." He is better than everyone's my, better than Michael Bay. Well, <laughs> I have not directed an action movie and I am better than Michael Bay. <laughs> okay, fine. But it's it's Michael Bay, then Paul Greengrass, uh, and then Wes Paul Anderson. Like we'll go in ahead, mind. jump in there in your mind. Yes, disagree. <laughs> with you. Disagree with you there. I really enjoyed the second and third Bond movies. They Bourne movies. Bourne movies. Wow, <laughs> see what I did there? I really enjoyed the second and third Bourne movies. They felt like visceral. They had uh, kind of a sense of impact. And for as much as you like found footage, handheld cameras when nothing's going on <laughs> or when a paranormal activity teddy bear flies across the room or something, that's thrilling to you. But when you actually use it to say, oh, look, we have a sense of action and quick pacing and you don't know what's going on because you just got hit by a car and the, your car's spinning around, that I think serves it a lot better than, hey, kids with a flip can, let's make a movie and call it Chronicle. It's going to look terrible. See, the difference is when you do a found footage movie, you are forced to have long takes. You just, otherwise it violates the premise. Right. Well, that's and, why it's a stupid premise. Right there. <laughs> I, I hate fast editing unless it serves a purpose. When Jason Bourne is beating people up, <laughs> shut up. Right, no, Wait, Don't make those gestures at me. He's highly trained. Agent. He knows what's going on. When he's punching people, he knows where his fist is going. I should know where his fist is going. What's funny is that you had this conversation, uh, we had this conversation during the Mission Impossible sequence. It's still relevant. With Jeremy Renner uh, fighting. In this one, it's going to be Jeremy Renner fighting again. And you, you liked his fighting in Mission Impossible 4? Maybe. He'll bring that to uh, this. Well, it's a it's a new director this time. We had, uh, like we said, Doug Lyman the first time, Paul Greengrass for the next couple. And now it's Tony Gilroy. He wrote the all three previous ones. Right. And he co-wrote this one with his little brother. Right. <laughs> Good that he's bringing family in. Actually, I think his other brother was the editor on this one. So it's a family affair for the Gilroys. Tony Gilroy has written a lot of really good movies, like Michael Clayton, which he also directed. Uh, and he, he also wrote Armageddon, so try not to hold that against him. <laughs> uh, Dan Gilroy has written some shitty movies. Free Jack, I think, was his from 92 or so with Emilio Estevez, where he has to, it's the future and you can buy your way into an older, into a new body if you catch it right at the time when they just die. It was weird and very 90s. Yeah, and then he made, he wrote a movie called Chasers, which is never heard of. And then 10 years later, comes out of retirement for Two for the Money. So... Um, Dan Gilroy is is like Tony Scott, the younger, less talented brother to okay. Tony Gilroy, or Ridley, Ridley Scott, Scott in this Scott. metaphor. I like Tony Gilroy as a writer, for the most part, um, and Michael Clayton was a well-done movie. He also directed Duplicity, which was not a good movie. Early on directed. Yeah, I, I mean, so... Compared to Michael Clayton, there's some time there for him to grow. <laughs> right. Before we move off of Tony Gilroy, I saw him at a panel where uh, he was screening Michael Clayton, and uh, I... I do think he, he's a good writer. I liked a lot of his stuff earlier, and it was respectable to see him getting into, you know, or directing kind of 
bit more, he actually brought uh, Michael Clayton to George Clooney saying, hey, would you be in this for me? And uh, George Clooney said, actually, I'd like to direct that because he's doing things like Good Night and Good Luck and, you know, directing himself. And he went, no, it's mine. And he's like, oh, then uh, not interested. He's like, come on. Like, he had to persuade him and say, it's not for you to direct. It's me. I'm doing my own directing now, and uh, I want you to be in it. And he finally persuaded him, and I think it was a very good movie. I think it really just fell into, like, a lot of George Clooney things where it's, like, up in the air where he's playing a character in this transitional time, and things happen that might be intriguing, but then it ends and it happened. And George <laughs> Clooney was in it, and interesting to watch, but... Yeah. The Bourne legacy at least looks like it's plot-driven, and like stuff will happen, right. and there will be some sort of conclusion, and it will be satisfying. The action scenes that they show, very briefly, it's not a very long trailer, they're exciting, and uh, they seem to be well done, and longer takes. Where well, it's there you go. Who's doing it's, what. Actually, I'm going to say, whom. it's hard to tell what, how long the takes are, because we're walk, watching it through a Venetian blinds or something. The trailer <laughs> is cut in an intermoving blocks kind of uh, section that... It, Gets old pretty quick, if you ask me. They should have started with that, revealed who was talking, and then gone full frame for a number of scenes. Yeah, that was a weird motif for the trailer. I hope it's not like a thing that happens in the movie a lot, because a lot of times the trailer tries to mimic yeah. a, a visual motif. Once they get out of the Saul Bass-inspired Venetian blind thing, they finally reveal Jeremy Renner, and I'm like, if I didn't go online and search for the Born Legacy trailer, the reveal of him... Would have meant nothing to me. I would have been like, who is... Why am I... What? what? <laughs> I think it was like, supposed to have more impact than it. Guess what? It's not Matt Damon. Bum, bum, bum! But they didn't tell me it was the Born Legacy trailer, so why would uh, I have... Not... Why would I have expected... Do I just expect Matt Damon in every trailer? <laughs> well, I think it, you're supposed to go, okay, and then they drop lines like it's bigger than Treadstone and you've got... Yeah, but that uh, all happens after the reveal right. of Jeremy so, Renner. It's very confusing. That, that's true. It's not much of a reveal. It's more... Uh, but then when you see those people and then flashback on the tagline of there was never only one, it should have more impact. Um, but, yeah. It, it was put together in a way that, that, yeah, it was very poor editing job. They... Um, I'm guessing the beginning with... Uh, just revealing Jeremy Renner, that could have been a teaser of, hey, here's a five to ten second teaser, and then they're like, that's good, but we lost the time window for teasers, let's just tack the rest of the uh, <laughs> thing on, and if they put that reveal at the end, they would have shown a lot of action sequences without showing his face, you know, if they had to do that kind of reveal Venetian blind for the end, you would have been like, is that why we never sh saw who was shooting in the plane, <laughs> or who was jumping out of the window? So it would have been um, awkward to cut it other ways. Yeah, no, it, it was just sort of an odd choice, but not a, not a reflection on the movie. Now, I'm confused, because I only saw the second and third Bourne movies uh, like once each, Yeah. and uh, in the at the end of the second one, I thought it was pretty clear, like, who had trained him and stuff, and then the third one was like, who trained me? And I was like, didn't... That's did you not watch the previous one? One I thought I <laughs> problem I had with the Bourne movies is that the first one is like, oh, you know who's the bad guy? Chris Cooper. Like, oh, he's so bad, he's been pulling these strings and he's got no heart, and then they take him out at the end, and they're like, that was cleaned up. I'm like, yes, it was. <laughs> All buttoned up. Second one comes in, it's like, you know what? Brian Cox was doing way worse stuff than uh, Chris Cooper. He didn't even know about his stuff. He was pulling his strings, and I'm like, oh, that damn Brian Cox. <laughs> and he gets taken out, and then you're like, okay, that was, glad we cleaned that up. We finally got to the real bad guy. 
Then they come back with the third one, and David Strathairn is, like, pulling strings in... Oh, it's... And that's the other thing. They went, oh, Treadstone. What's Treadstone all about? Oh, you know what? Treadstone was the tip of the iceberg. It's called Black Briar. And there's a reporter... The third one was a lot weaker, I found, by the way. Uh, there's a reporter in England exposing this stuff who apparently just having a good story is like, you know what people don't want you to know? There's not really... Uh, me having a problem with it because I'm in England, not so why do I care how the U.S. spends their money and it's not like they killed or extracted, extradited or black-bagged uh, British people away. But you know what the U.S. is doing that's screwed up? It was like a very tattletale motivation for that character and I didn't like it as the opening. But it got Jason Bourne kicking people or doing crap and God <laughs> in small spaces in Morocco. So I was like... All right, it'll go. But they finally get back to the U.S. in New York, and he tracks down David Strathair, and, and he's like, it wasn't me, it's uh, Albert Finney or whoever was. Like, he gets to the top, and he's like, well, I'm just the operational kind of manager, you know, on the day-to-day -day stuff. This guy's the, the brains behind it. He trained you, and there's, you know, flashbacks of him getting trained in a room, kind of like what we see, and I really didn't like that outcome. I'm like, you know what? I don't care who, like you know, handed him his training clothes and <laughs> what he went through. I liked more out in the world where he was, you know, improvising weapons and blowing stuff up. Uh, kind of his uh, boot camp regimen. Not as interesting to me. Didn't feel like Albert Finney or David Strathairn at that point was as bad a bad guy as Brian Cox or Chris Cooper. They yeah. didn't have as much blood on their hands. They kind of approved budgets. Yes, Albert Finney was the one actually indoctrinating them or waterboarding them into becoming, you know, fractured, on-edge killers. But I still feel like he was just a guy in a room that's, like, training them, not the, the big bad that's pulling the strings and the responsible for all this death all over the world. I'm not even entirely clear. They're, they're, the whole thing with the first one was that he just didn't know who he was. And he figures out, oh, I lost my memory because I was a super spy. I thought Chris Cooper was sending him out to kill people that, like, weren't supposed to be killed or whatever, right? That, that was the problem with the first one, right? Yes, that was the problem. I think his main hit was supposed to be this, uh, the Wombosi guy from Africa who maybe was rightful leader of the country, but the CIA didn't want him in place. And I think Brian Cox even had a scene where they're like, no, we're not going after that guy. So it's clearly the CIA lying to Congress or whatever that scene was and doing it on their own. So in the second and third one, the bad guys are just people that are training American soldiers? Like, well, is that the... Like, we're now saying that just training troops is, no, that, is bad? No, the second one really drives it home because he flashes back to a thing in Germany where he killed the rightful, like, successor to be prime minister who was going to be elected, and then we find out that Brian Cox partnered with a Russian guy to take him out because the Russian guy would then get all the oil rights and he would share them with Brian Cox. So that was really Brian Cox going rogue. Oh, okay. Assassinating a, pol a Russian politician who was going to change things and give the oil over to the people and killing him for a share. So yes, Brian Cox was very bad. Okay. But yeah, by the time, like I said, you got to David Strathairn, in the third one it's like, I don't know that he knew about those two kind of off-the-record hits. He was uh, more just, again approving budgets and making sure everything got set up. He didn't ask what was going on or, you know, he didn't audit them, I guess. <laughs> so, bad for him. And as we learned from Haywire, I think he should have died for that. Because that's <laughs> the, what you get for being bad at your job. Uh, but they really underplayed it as him as a bad guy. I think, in the end, it's not like he gets killed or his comeuppance for that. He's ruined, you know, she faxes the records or whatever to Congress and people, and they're clearly going to 
have a big investigation or put him in prison. But I, I think him and Albert Finney, yes, like you said, are kind of training this extreme soldier to be used however the operational handlers see fit. They It could be in a bad way, but they're not really sure of that. So it, it wasn't as big a bad guy or like as much blood on their hands. Uh, maybe they should have, again, checked up on what happens after they're done with them. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. The, this third one, it's not even clear who the bad guys are, other than, like, uh, obviously, Edward Norton is in it, so he must be the bad guy. <laughs> but what what he's doing or what he's up to... I feel like he's the new handler, the new Chris Cooper, and yes, he's going to be bad, and Edward Norton can do good work, but really, lately, I have not found him a guarantee of anything. I can't remember the last good movie I've seen him in. Uh, he was in Fight Club. <laughs> um... So, yeah, that, that was about it. Uh, 13 he, years ago? Wow. Okay. That's... So, he looks, and it might be, again, the mustache <laughs> I think we saw him have. And, again, from Haywire, we learned mustache equals kind of shady. Uh, he looks like he did in The Italian Job, where he was the bad guy, and but in a slimy kind of way. I don't look forward to that, Edward Martin <laughs> being in. I think Jeremy Renner will bring new life into it. He is trending up right now. He's so hot at this. <laughs> I meant as a property in Hollywood, by the way. Just because we talked about for Mission Impossible 4, him coming in, and we thought he was going to take over the mantle from Tom Cruise. And then we're like, well, the movie didn't really force that as the issue. It still sounds like Tom Cruise will come back for any subsequent ones unless there's a falling out you know, on money or production. But then he steps over and is like, okay, then I'm taking the Bourne uh, mantle. And so... Seeing him, I think, revitalizes it, but it's not a guarantee of it being good. Yeah. I'm willing to give it a chance um, because, at least like a, from the beginning, at least Paul Greengrass is not directing well, it. Uh, yeah. That's a point in its favor. As far For as you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it does look good. I like action that... I like the action that the Bourne movies do. I do not like Transformers or Michael Bay level of action just because right. it comes across too fabricated. There's no impact, I think, is what we talked about for Mission Impossible. The fourth one had some of the impact. And Bourne movies have always had that gut-wrenching crunch of metal in a uh, car crash realism that a lot of Hollywood movies that are super high gloss don't because you're like, oh, he's fine. When this one, it starts off with Jeremy Renner looking like he's been tortured and redacted and everything it actually he looks a bit like yeah. that's not what redacted means. yes it means they, they took a black sharpie too. <laughs> they did they erased his name he's been uh spirited away to a foreign prison so he can be tortured for information that is what redacted now means they <laughs> blocked out his name rendition rendition is the word you're looking for god <laughs> We're starting over. He does. No, no. We're going to include redacted. Okay. Um, yes, he definitely does look like he's been beaten up. And as a start, that's where you start. Clearly, like, that's... They're going... They're really going for the realism. I'll also go see it, because I like the movies. I actually read all the books, too, prior to the... When the first one came out. They're nothing like... like they the first one is... nothing but. like <laughs> them. Uh, he's hunting down an international assassin called the Jackal. And he actually specifically is a master of Asian studies uh, Asian languages. He's a, like a professor level. Born is? Or? Yeah. Oh. So he can blend in in Asia. None of the movies go to Asia. Uh, he is hunting the assassin. Like, I think they touch on in the first book, the assassination of the 
Mumbo C or something, but it was to get him street cred as his own assassin. Like, oh, this Jason Bourne guy is a, rivaling the Jackal in terms of assassinations. So he was supposed to go out and hit, you know, do hits to build up street cred. I actually like that storyline better. It was I don't know why America has to be the bad guys in every goddamn action movie that Soderbergh or Clooney or their friends get, uh, get associated with. It's, uh, it was interesting in that, yeah, and the Jackal was a former Russian Soviet, you know, sniper. The Jackal's a real person. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's loosely based on, but... I'm sure it is. There is an actual uh, famous assassin from the 70s named, nicknamed the Jackal. I recall that, but I thought it might have been convoluted enough by Bruce Willis playing a <laughs> movie where Richard Gere was an IRA assassin and, and Sidney Poitier... Sidney Poitier is in the Jackal? In the Jackal. No way! Bruce Willis, Jack Black, Sidney Poitier. <laughs> And Richard Gere playing an, doing an Irish rogue. It's it's really does Sidney Poitier have like gambling debts? I don't know why he was deciding to come out of retirement. I, he might have been working around that time, but nothing I really saw. And then he just popped up there. I thought this is weird. <laughs> so this is definitely weird. Uh, but yes, I was aware the jackal might be based on a real person, but it's been so aggrandized through movies that at yeah, this yeah. point it's a character. Yes. Uh, so that's who Bourne was originally hunting. Back to this movie, this trailer, Jeremy Renner does bring some new life to it. Matt Damon was getting old, even though the fourth and fifth books are about Bourne being retired and teaching Asian studies at an East Coast university, and then his wife is kidnapped by the Jackal, or by actually maybe a mafia, like a Taiwanese mafia, who uh, wants his help, to, and they'll only give her back if he assassinates some Communist Party leaders that are trying to retake ta Taiwan or Hong Kong. I forget which. They're very similar in my mind. But it, again, goes back to racist. Asia. I am racist. <laughs> uh, goes back to Asia and he has to come out of retirement. So it handles him getting older, but not in a way that the movies could <laughs> do. Like, hey, Matt Damon's getting up there, but... Right, he's not quite a uh, uh, tweed jacket, leather, arm, right. elbow patches kind of professor yet. Um, although that would be interesting as a, yeah. later on. Mm. Um, uh, we've... It does seem similar to Indiana Jones starting out as a professor at the beginning of the... That's true. So maybe they struggle for that. But <laughs> Born Legacy, I'll see it. Jeremy Renner looks good. Uh, Edward Norton does not. Unless he goes to his Edward Norton, I have multiple personality disorders in this one. <laughs> then I will maybe just see it to further my theory that Edward Norton really has multiple personality disorders. <laughs> if you look at his movies... Well, there's there's... Fight Club, Primal Fear, yeah. The Hulk, the arguably. Hulk, he's got some others. There was uh, one where, like, Leaves of Grass or something that I didn't see but came out in the past two years where he's playing twins. Um, and I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> see, what my theory is that they have he's already got split personality, so they have to just write it in all the scripts <laughs> because you don't know who's showing up that day. And so they're like, oh, he's the long-haired twin in this scene. All right, let's shoot it. So... Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, in keeping the faith with him and Ben Stiller, they told him he was playing both the priest and the rabbi, <laughs> and they just green-screened Ben Stiller in with him so that he'd feel better about it. But uh, So in that respect, he might pay off in spades. Otherwise, I think he's not going to be great. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely hit or miss, but this seems like it could be in his wheelhouse. Or wheelhouses, if yeah. you <laughs> Um, so that's it for this week. Tune in next time for a full-length uh, movie review.